So, everyone, the big news is we're pregnant. And the other big news is I'm upgrading the brakes on my Mustang. <laughs> if you really love cars, Auto One. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. G'day everyone, it's Nick from the Talk and Power podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is a special best of 100 episodes. We've just clicked over the 102 episodes, so we thought we'd bring you a best of uh, episode where we bring you the best of our recent 100 episodes. Uh, when we first started off, we certainly weren't using mixers, we certainly weren't using cameras, and we weren't using a whole lot of great uh, technology. But Nonetheless, we still got there in the end and uh, we were able to record in a small office from this house actually back in the day and um, it was just interesting. Some of the technology we had back in the day wasn't wasn't great. It was on a laptop and it was uh, basically straight in there and we recorded myself and Simon Gonzo Travellini uh, recorded back in the day and uh, look anyway, here is a small intro of our very first episode. Okay, welcome to the Talk and Power podcast. My name is Nick DeCembury. And, and I'm, I'm Simon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got to speed it up a little bit, Nick. Come on, let's get into no. it. You know my wife says I've got a boring voice, so I'll try and make it as exciting as possible. All right, Simon, uh, look, thanks Thanks for doing this with us, anyway. Um, Thanks for inviting me, Nick. No, that's all right. You're, I'll try not to talk over the top of you. But you're a permanent fixture to this to this gig. Anyway, tell us a bit about yourself, Simon. I uh, am mainly into drag racing, but uh, I have competed in other forms of motorsport. Uh, I work for Allfast in Malaga. We build race cars, we tune them, we um, do anything we can that makes money. Although there hasn't been a lot of that lately. <laughs> no, fair enough. So, yeah, I've, I've been involved in motorsports for about 30 years now. And uh, my most recent foray was uh, racing Group 1 Andra Top Door Slammer. Yep. It wasn't very successful. <laughs> no, I think in fairness, you did quite well. You went, you've gone 6-0? Yeah, 6-0. 6-0. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It, it is a very money-driven sport in terms of uh, if you're going to go out there and learn you need to burn parts, it's as simple as that yeah. uh, or you need to buy a tune-up and I would rather learn how to get to the tune-up than just buy one Yeah. so yeah, um, and you know, technology is continually changing that's the other thing yeah. but uh, we're not here to talk about drag racing so um, let's move on so as you can see from that, that was pretty, pretty raw and uh, you know, we were quite nervous and uh not, not all that professional, and uh, I guess we're still not uh, to a certain extent. So that was our first step. That was the intro. That was episode number one. I thought it would be the right time to also... We had a different theme song back then, and uh, I thought I would just play that here for you right now as well. Recorded live in Balcata, Western Australia, the hoon capital of the world, this is Talkin' Power. Gap is what happens uh, when you hold to the floor and crush the man next to you. 
there's space in between your back bumper and your front bumper. We, uh, in the South, we refer to it as the gap band. Well, I think, you know, Formula One is for grown-ups. So back in the day, we, we started off with the Hoon Capital of the World. Once we got our, we started uh, syndicating our podcast to 88.5 FM, wasn't really appropriate to have that uh, theme song at the start. Um, so we had to had to change the beginning and the beginning of our podcast is the one you hear now. Uh, once we were syndicated on 88.5 FM, we just felt that Hoon Capital of the World, naming Belcato the Hoon Capital of the World, given the fact that you know, hoon activities these days is probably not all that appropriate. So we, um, yeah, we've done away with that, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, depends on what way you look at it. Anyway, we moved on to having our first guest on the episode. And um, we had to get a bit of technology involved. It wasn't un up until episode 18 we had our first guest. And it was none other than the legendary uh, top door slammer champion, John Zapier. Uh, he was our first guest ever on the podcast. We did it over Skype. And uh, look, those that have met John Zapier before know that he's not, not shy to, to have a bit of a chat. And we certainly appreciated his time on the podcast. He, um, you know, was certainly very, very helpful indeed. And uh, yeah, let's just have a listen to some of John Zapier's. It was our first interview on the podcast. Okay, John, thanks for joining us on the Talk and Power podcast. It's uh, much appreciated that you could make the time to join us here today. Um, yep, thanks. Lee, let's, let's, get, let's get stuck straight into it. You're the 10-time defending champion. You're, in your, you're yep. going for your 11th title. Um, first of all, congratulations on the world record and, and also congratulations on resetting the Australian record. Um, I, I've always wanted to know this. For, for me, when my first experience drag racing when I was 15, I remember I was uh, the old wooden boxes at Ravenswood. I was paying for my ticket and I heard this noise. It was like a, a roar with a whistle in the background. And I, I ran up, up the stairs and you were doing one of your trademark three-quarter track burnouts. And at, at that point, I realised that I wanted to go drag racing. Did you, did you have a moment like that? Uh, early on in your career, you know, like were you at the track one day and thought, oh, I, I want to give this a go? Oh, for sure. Look, I went to, I went there with my dad when I was 14. Uh, my older brothers were already there. Richard and Joe were there, already there. And you know, I went with dad and he stayed there for a while. And back in those days, I think we had the St. Lawrence Dragster and, you know, probably Cowan running a blown altered or something and um, we got to see a little bit of it and then Dad wanted to go home and I was like, oh, I was crushed and so I had to go home. Couldn't stay with me brothers because everyone was a bit rowdy in those days. <laughs> so uh, as, soon as, I, um, as soon as I got my licence, I was down there. <laughs> Sunday street beatings, straight to the drags. 
Do you think that, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, for us, it was just in, incredible because we'd never seen anything like that. And the, the, the difference between anything that was on the street compared to, you know, these supercharged vehicles was immense. But now with all this turbo technology yeah. and guys driving to the track and running, you know, sevens and sixes and so on and so forth, do you think it's kind of watered down the sport a little bit? Oh, obviously, the, you know, the mark's been pushed way further. Um, I mean, you know, nowadays you get non-roll cage streetcars doing 10 seconds. Um, and I don't know if, if those streetcars have watered it down, but, you know, when ProStop was doing 7.0s and, you know, they're still only just breaking into the 6s, you know, um, I tried to tell them then, you know, these guys need to go mountain motor. Yeah, don't worry about this going from 350 to 400 cubes. Yeah, I agree completely. We've discussed this. Yeah, we've discussed (laughs) this on the podcast before. When that was happening, I was actually considering building a pro stock car rather than a door slammer. And I went to the meeting when they decided to go 400. I said, this is ridiculous. It's even pairing between the Chryslers, the Fords and the Chevys in the 815 IHRA ranks. Why don't we go down that road? Uh, but they, they felt that they could bring some of the technology from their 340 cubes over to the 400s, which, you know, we know that the cylinder heads, camshaft, everything's going to be completely different, but that was the, the thought at the time. But, yeah, I agree with you completely. Yeah. But then, you know, then we put a blower on the car. You know, I was running A-gas with my original car, and I couldn't compete with the budget I had, and, the, you know, it was a cast-iron big block with... 454, crow fuel injection, the roller cam, and, you know, mm. we, we got that to do nine ones at 151. And then, you know, McCurdy and a few other guys, they were running the 880s. So it was like, you know, I've got to go 10,000 rev, big block with all the technology, or let's put a blower on it. So we put a blower on it, and straight away the car went 864 first pass on a 427 Chevy with an 871. And big skids, and that's what everybody loved, and it's like that's what's. So that was John Zapier there. We really appreciated his time. That was back on episode eighteen. Uh, by episode twenty-three, Simon and his wife Nicole they are uh, of having their first firstborn baby, uh, Nicholas. So we needed someone to step in, and uh, Luke Newhoff at the time was in Australia, and uh, I reached out to Luke, and he uh, came to our. Uh, office here and uh recorded episode number 23 really appreciated that because luke is quite well known in the industry especially in the drag racing industry as a reputable journalist and we really appreciated his time and coming on the podcast let's just tune in and have a listen to luke newhoff that was from episode 23 all right welcome to episode 23 of the talk and power podcast i'm nick dechembry and i am here with royalty i don't know about that (laughs) I am here with Luke Newhoff. Now, for those listeners that are not familiar with Luke, let's let's just give a bit of a rundown of, of Luke and what what you've done in the past. You were the well, you still are the editor and co-founder of Drag News Magazine. You were previously the marketing and communications manager at the Perth Motorplex, media manager of Andra, and journalist and media monitor. Previous to that. 
So, and in the meantime, you've been running wadragracing.com. You, I know you work, did a lot of work for Street Machine, which I want to talk about a bit later because mm-hmm. there was a heap there. And the West Australian is still doing that and also for Jordan as well and Forge Magazine. That's yeah. probably just to the tip of the iceberg, I guess. Yeah, staying busy. That's the, that's the key when you're a freelancer. So <laughs> as much as I can take on, I take on. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Look, I mean, I've, I've known you for a long time, but some of our listeners probably uh, may not. So just give a just give us a brief rundown of, of yourself and your family and and how you've come from drag racing over the years. Well, I guess I was born into the sport. Um, my parents have raced for a long time. My dad first, and then my then my mother as well. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around Ravenswood, um, watching them race motorbikes, and and then of course the transition to Perth Motorplex. Um, yeah, okay. And that's uh, I guess the transition to Perth Motorplex, as you know, kind of came around the same time as as the internet was starting to take off i guess Mm. um so yeah would you believe i started writing um event reports for uh the nhra drag racing video game yeah okay and then uh the track manager at the time peter pike asked Mm -hmm. if i'd be interested in helping out with the dragster australia reports for the real racing at the motorplex okay um and then it all sort of um yeah just rolled on from there i think in year 11 digital media class i put together a, a wa drag racing website yep um, and that that's how that all started and mm. yeah everything's just sort of grown from there I mean that was 18 we're talking 18 odd years ago but I do remember your your work fondly back then as well I know you you're a lot younger then and well so was I, I guess but <laughs> but um it was pretty it was even for the time it was pretty cutting edge what you were doing back then and I, I know a lot of people were using you and you were also you probably you were also the photographer at the track as well not long after that I would Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the, the photography was just a, a fun sort of side aspect of running the website. It lets you get trackside, it lets you get the best seat in the house. And yep. it really is. You, you're spoilt when you get to be within meters of these cars roaring past you. And mm. it's just such a, an exciting sport. And to see it up close is, is something, yeah, as a 16 year old kid, was was amazing. And, and yep. even today, it's, it still amazes me when I'm standing next to a top fuel dragster that launches and it literally shakes your brain around and, and shakes the snot out of your nose. It's that. Mm. Uh, it's that explosive when they launch yeah, and, that, and yeah. it's, that's the addictive thing about drag racing yeah it is yeah it's cert- that, that's certainly the case i can vouch for that all right that was luke and uh here yeah, he certainly brought a level of professionalism to that podcast when we when we had him on back there on episode 23 we really appreciated his time he's living in the u.s now full time and uh hopefully we can catch up with him soon one day anyway look we'll take a short break here and we'll be back with much more of our best of 100 episodes right after this The Auto One Customer Loyalty Program, the Auto One Club, has been designed to provide privileges to loyal customers. Head on over to www.autoone.com.au and click on the club membership tab or alternatively head into your local Auto One store and ask about the benefits that come with being a loyal Auto One club member. While you're in the store, be sure to check out Auto One's extensive range of impact automotive garage tools floor mats and coolant. The Impact Automotive range offers quality products at affordable prices. From a three-ton heavy-duty trolley jack to an adjustable mechanic seat, the Impact Automotive range has a garage tool that'll suit your needs. The range has also well over 20 different types of floor and boot mats to suit your ride. They come in rubber or fabric with a PVC backing to stop slipping. Also in the range is an extensive choice of coolant. Whether it be pre-mixed or concentrate, the long life range of red and green impact automotive coolant is bound to have a product that suits your needs. 
To view the full range of Impact Automotive products, head on over to www.auto1.com.au or visit one of their stores. Auto One is committed to bringing you the brands you know and trust at great prices. Coupled with their team's knowledge and experience, Auto One, it's the one. While drag racing was our core interest, no doubt, we felt by episode, uh, our, after our first nine months of recording, we felt that we needed to branch out into something a little bit different. And um, a couple of local guys, Jamie Paolucci and Jonathan Murray, were holding an event called Race Wars. So we reached out to Jamie Paolucci and uh, we recorded this episode. To date, this is not the highest ranking episode, but it's certainly up there in terms of downloads. And we really appreciated Jamie for his time back in 2018 for this, this interview. Hey, Jamie, <laughs> let, me, let me formally introduce you then. So you're the event director of Race Wars, which is coming up March 3 to 5 uh, this year down in lovely Albany. Um, yes, the lovely city of Albany. So thanks for joining us uh, here. Um, as we go into Race Wars, look, I've, I've followed Race Wars for a number of years, even back in the uh, Wild Catchem days. Um, you've moved yep. down to, to Albany now, Be- better facilities? Well, look, I'll get a little bit too far into it. Um, Race Wars was born because a bunch of guys having a few drinks thought about getting somewhere off the road where they could stretch the legs of their cars. We're all like playing and tuning with our cars of all denominations. We're not specific to anything in particular. Um, John, who's the other director of the group, he um, had some contacts with the uh, Wild Catching Airport and before you knew it, an event that was going to be designed around 20 or 30 guys as word got out and it grew and grew and before you know it we had to find a uh, suitable insurance group to provide us coverage for a, an official public event. So that that spanned over 13, 14 and 15. Hmm. Um, while Captain Council didn't want to proceed any further with the event so uh, in the interim we decided to, to sort of close Race Wars down, unknown to us, we had started some discussions with Albany Council yep. uh, in 2016, uh, and the idea was, look, you know, the, the processes for planning and approvals and everything else, as well as cast, given it's a, a federal facility, you know, $76 million airport, people don't just hand them up, yeah. um, or apparently they do, but... Um, <laughs> The, the, the council were very, very, very progressive. They're, they're very proactive in, in utilising um, a spectacle. Uh, they took a risk with us and they gave us an approval in a much shorter time frame than we had anticipated. So as, as such, 2017 sort of grew very, very quickly over the course of 2016. Yeah, okay. I've heard, I've heard that you've got some uh, competition in the AU stakes with Simon Gillespie uh, dropping a turbocharger Gen 3 into one. Is that is that rumour yeah, true? Yeah, well, that's, well that's, it's true. I mean, the, that guy's, you know, he, he, he doesn't think straight, that dude. You know, you've taken, you've taken a single overhead cam, great fix, like that... You know, he's cheating. Yeah. He's cheating. No, he listens to the right? show, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call him out because the, the bottom line is he's cheating. But, you know, we'll head to head. There's no problem because we know that our, our AU is the real deal. It's, ja- le- it's legitimate. Jamie, Jamie, <laughs> we're going to talk about calling people out. Me and Nick were discussing this earlier. Oh. We, think, we think we need to call okay. you out with the Camry. We, we think it needs to oh, be done. Yeah. 
Mate, is that Camry ready to go? It's it's ready to go. I'll fire it up on the two-step if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we were, we were hoping that in over the course of um, February, if we could get this AU up and running, we were going to try and get it down to the drag so we could just see what it does um, and just, you know, run the, run the car in. So... If you know, if if everything goes according to plan, um, I'd love to call you guys out and, and we'll do a heads up down at down at wow. the motorplex. And the motorplex would love to have us there. This sounds like a plan. It it's, does. It's, there you go, live everyone. <laughs> yeah. No back to you, you, we can no, do a, a live stream on Facebook for racehorse. You guys can do the uh, live stream for your um, podcast. It sounds like a plan. All right. No, I'm liking this. Well, well, I'll let you and Nick organise it. <laughs> my my, my, yeah. uh, my co-host over here, is, uh, his wife's his lovely wife's having a baby right at the start of Feb, so we might have to we might have to do a bit of a bit of all. You, you can but, drive. Mm, yeah. He's scared. Well, He's scared not of a well. Camry. I could drive, but not well. <laughs> So out of that interview, it was quite funny. The Camry was kind of, was born. Well, and, uh, you know, for those that followed the podcast knew that uh, at the time Simon built a Bogo standard V6 Camry and put a turbo on board. And uh, we've had a fair bit of fun with that car over the years. Used it as a bit of a promotional tool. And uh, hopefully uh, one day when Race Wars is back on again, uh, we can get that down there. Anyway, moving on, we moved on to the the royal wedding. Uh, Harry and um, Meghan, when they got married, for whatever reason, we had a quick discussion. They used an electric vehicle to leave the uh, to leave the reception. For whatever reason, that sparked a lot of interest in our listenership uh, worldwide, and we had downloads from right around the world. Let's just have a listen to that episode here. We um we we tied it in with the royal wedding, you know. Yes, so that's, that's right. Important that's too. right. Now I I gotta know. Did your wife make you watch it? Yeah, she didn't make me watch it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but she, she didn't make you. She watch. didn't make me watch it. No, no, no. no. But, but while we while Not we're here, what did you what did you think of the um the Jaguar? Yeah, we <laughs> were set in the mood the, for our the, podcast. The listeners. in brackets E type. Yeah, E type <laughs> from Concept Jaguar. Now I know what E stands for. <laughs> <laughs> of all these years, I've wondered what does it stand for. Was it like, did he get to that part of the alphabet? But where was the B type and the A type? <laughs> it stands for electric, uh, mate. I guess the theme park. Windsor, mm. right? Yeah, Windsor. You got to have the electric cars to drive mm. around in, don't you? Yeah. Everything, but Disneyland—they've all got them. <laughs> they've all got them. I mean, most of them have uh, choo-choo trains and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> you know, what the hell? Why but, not an E-type? Uh, they, they said on the uh, it was a left-hand drive as a tribute to uh, Meghan Markle. Um, I thought if they were doing a tribute to Meghan Markle, they would have left in a Camaro or something like that. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting. The boys arrived in a Mercedes Vito, in a glorified Vito. I thought that was interesting. In a Vito? Yeah. I didn't know. I just saw the, the Bentleys or Rollers. Or no, the two were. boys actually arrived in a glorified black Mercedes Vito. Oh. And Lewis Hamilton must be really having a, an impression. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Rocking up in Mercedes Benz. They couldn't <laughs> rock up in an Aston Martin or something like that. Was there any, you know, rap competitions back at the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's I always I, I look I find it interesting I think they they got the Jaguar uh, into it by um 
you know, as a tribute to the British. But um, there, yeah, there you go. They made the comment that he's a big James Bond fan, mm. and that was a decision. And I'm trying to think, when did James Bond ever have... A Jack. I can't remember. It's Aston it's Martin. Aston Martin, that's right. Every bloody show. He's got, I think he had a BMW in one. Yeah. Had a BMW in one and he had a Lotus mm. in one. Yeah, but it was a Lotus Esprit. Esprit. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the submarine the one. one. Yeah, the yeah, one that went yeah. underwater, yeah. Uh, but apart from that, they've been Aston, so mm. I don't see the connection. No, no, no. Anyway. <laughs> it would have been more of a... Her Majesty's stupid service if he was driving an electric. I mean, what's he going to do? Pull over and charge up? Oh, God, let's be realistic. It's James Bond. Maybe he's going to have rocket propelled batteries or something. I don't know. So, getting back to drag racing, which was the core of our interest by this stage, Kelly Betts had become the first female top field champion in Australia. Uh, she was driving for the Lamartina family at the time. So he reached out to Kelly and she gave us an extraordinary interview. It's one, if you haven't listened to it, I urge you to go back and listen to it. But look, here's some short highlights of that interview right here with Kelly Betts. One of the, probably one of the best interviews we've done. We have arguably one of our biggest stars that we've had to date on the podcast on the line right now. Arguably, without a doubt, our biggest star. <laughs> We'd like to welcome Kelly Betts the first Australian top fuel female champion. Welcome, Kelly. How are you? Hello. Well, that's pretty nice uh, introduction there, if it's the biggest star. <laughs> Kelly, big, big congratulations. I mean, to, to be able to have the opportunity to drive a top fuel car is, you know, incredible. To win a race yeah. is, is just unbelievable. To win a championship, that and, and arguably in the toughest season, the most subscribed top fuel events in probably the last 15 or 20 years. Mm. Big yeah. effort, huge, huge, uh, you know, and, and to be the first female, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, the way you just spelled it out there is kind of how it was all going for me as the season went, you know. Like, it started with, holy moly, I've got an opportunity to drive a top fuel car, and that was just blowing my mind at the start anyway, and it, oh, to be honest, it still does. Mm. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the first goal was driving the car and showing the team that they chose me for a reason. I, you know, I can do it for them. And, and then once we kind of got through that, I guess, uh, process of showing Phil that I can handle and can drive the car, then it came to having, you know, getting a win in it, which was the, the, one of the biggest things for me at the time in achieving and then next minute we won another event and then another event after that and coming into the Winter Nationals, like, I mean, at the start of the season, we had kind of, our hopes for the championship had been lost a little bit because of the first event, we had some troubles with the car and it being an elimination round, um, it kind of like, we copped a fair uh, thing with like no points for that round and... Damien Harris obviously won it and that he picked up a whole lot of points on us because it was an elimination round and then there wasn't due to be another elimination round until the Winter Nationals. So to try and catch up on that points lead that he got there, we kind of thought all hope was lost. Yeah. But, you know, who would have thought the season ahead you were going to take out three wins so, <laughs> and so then put yourself in contention? In, you know, talking about that, so um, your first win was at the Sydney event at the, the Santos Summer Thunder. 
right? You also yeah. run a PB 383 with a two. Yeah. Um, so this is your first win for the season and it lifts you to third in the points, right? This was January yeah. 2018. At this stage, are you starting to get the sense that, that the championship is up for grabs? Um, at that stage, I thought, you know, we could either... I mean, in my head, I was thinking, well, this will be great. We should finish second or third in my first full season. That's fantastic in my head kind of thing. I, the, the possibility of then, you know, you wouldn't, just wouldn't have even thought that you could go then and win the next two events. And, you know, obviously, it, it all surrounded by what Damien did at those events as well. But, um, yeah, I think at that point of the season, I was like, you know what, this would be pretty cool if we can, you know, do, have some good results from here on in and, and end up being, you know, second or third. All right, well, look, well, that was Kelly Betts. And uh, as I said, one of the first females in, in Australia to win a top fuel championship. We really appreciated her time. Anyway, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to the Talking Power podcast. We're walking through 100 episodes and giving you the best of over 100 episodes. Over the time, we've done a number of outside broadcasts uh, where we weren't all that proficient in it back in the day, but episode 36 and 37, we had to do uh, a double header and we headed out to Johnny Benzine Detailing, good friend of the podcast, and uh, we, we did our first outdoor uh, outside broadcast from his premises. So let's just catch up with a bit from that right here. All right, everyone. Episode 36 of the Talk and Power podcast. And as you probably can tell, we are live. This is a live podcast that we're doing from Benzene Detailing here in Wangara. This is a Cancer Council fundraiser. It's the Benzene Open Day. And I'm here with Johnny Alardi. How are you, Johnny? Yeah, I'm good, Nick. Thank you. That's good. Thanks for the invite down here. It's uh, great to be here. Can you just give us a rundown on, on, on the what, what's today, what it's all about? Um, it's probably about a couple of things, to be honest with you. Was, um, we've obviously revamped the workshop in the last six months. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, I thought it was a good opportunity to have um, you know, uh, an open day, but you know, also try and raise some funds for the Cancer Council, which is um, something we try to do uh, on a yearly basis. And yep. I thought we just utilised the workshop and the and the space we've got in the complex to have a bit of a, you know, a show and shine. So, yeah. yeah. Look, as you can probably hear, some of the cars are rolling up as we speak. Um, so, Johnny, you've been here, what, a couple of years now? Uh, it's actually been over four years now. So, four years, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. in the workshop, yeah. <laughs> uh, you just did a, a pretty major renovation here at the moment. So you've got a mezzanine floor in now and you've polished up the floors. Any other renovations you've done in here that I may have missed? Um, no, obviously, I mean, that's the, the main thing was <clears throat> to, you know, the mezzanine to give us a floor space back. But yep. obviously, um, the lighting is probably a... a you know, another step above of what we had before. Sure. So, which is what what we um, that was part of you know what we wanted to try to achieve with the mezzanine floor as yeah. well. So, yep. um, yeah, that's um, no, come up a million dollars. Just, just everything really tidy and, and locked away. You know, everything's nice and neat. It's got a place now. So, yep. yeah, that's no, good. So, if um, our listeners are out there, if they need to find you, benzene detailing. I know you do all the the, the top end work. We've got some great cars out there at the moment. Some of my favourites in Perth at the moment. So. Where, where can they find you, Johnny? 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, we're obviously in Wangara, but if you just jump on our Facebook page, um, our Instagram page, yep. um, you know, Benzene's Detailing, yeah, all our details are there, and yeah, you can see what we what we do. And no yeah. worries. Well, obviously, we're at the shows, we're at Cars and Coffee as well. So, yep. Um, like I said, yeah, when we're out there, just come and say hello, and we can have no a worries. chat about what you want to get done. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Johnny. Thanks for your time. And um, we really appreciate your invite here today. And uh, we'll be talking to a few of the guys down here today. Thanks, Johnny. No, I think thanks for coming down. No worries. I'm here down at the Celebration of Motorsport at Langley Park for Targa West. And I'm with our first guest for the day, Tracy DeJager. Thanks for coming on, Tracy. I'm honoured to be here. I might just get you to talk a little bit closer to that. That's it. There we go, how's that? Perfect, perfect. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Of course, for you, anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tracy, I've known you for a little while. Um, I remember when you, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you started out, it might have been an XD with a ZJ front end. You? Well, actually, it was the XB74 coupe, my husband's coupe in Super Street. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Well, there you go. I've got that wrong, haven't I? Um, my apologies. So no, that's all right. That was what, the early days. Okay. Yep. What year was that then? Uh, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, no worries. I, I I remember also after that you went to the Ute as well as an XD Ute. Yep. That's when. Well, I had nitrous on the Falcon, the XB, mm. and then that's how nitrous Nana's name sort of came out. Our first granddaughter was born then as well, mm -hmm. so nitrous Nana, and then everyone knew us as that, so we kept that on with the XDU. Yeah. Okay. No. No. It's great. It's great. Now, you've had, you've stepped up quite significantly over the years. I mean, you're into your third car now. Yep. Yep. It's, let, let's just talk, talk us through the cars that you've had since since a Ute. You also went, um, it was a Thunderbird from memory? Yep, I went um, Super Sedan in the Ute to the 55 Thunderbird into Supercharged Outlaw. Um, stayed there for a couple of years and then went from there in the 55 Thunderbird up to Top Comp. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. No, and that was great looking car. It was different for the for the time, wasn't it? Oh, I, and I love the classic look of car, the old mm. cars. I love them. Yep, yep. While we like to focus on motorsport and motoring, also it's really important that we keep younger people engaged. We came across through a good friend of the po podcast, Andy Kale and Simon Gonzo Travellini, F1 in schools, and we felt that was a really good opportunity for us to reach out to the schools and see and interview some of the children taking part in F1 in schools. So we did that, uh, it was episode 43. Uh, back in the day, let's just tune in. And some of these kids that were participating in this event, really gifted kids, really smart children. Let's just have a listen to that here. We are from F1 in schools, which was the state finals for WA was held at the North Lakes Senior Campus this week. A big thanks to Deborah Maloney, uh, also Dr. Michael Myers, and also Andy Kale for uh, getting the Talk and Power podcast involved. It was really appreciated. And also thanks to all the schools that participated and gave us time for their interviews. Okay, I'm here with a team at Eton Secondary College. Um, Chanel Racing. I'm here with Alastair, Mitchell, Olivia, Charlize, and Megan. Thanks for coming on, guys. Um, 
tell us a bit about your car that you got over there. It's quite a quite a quite a good presentation that car. Um, well, when we were first designing it, we had a few hiccups with the way we designed it, and then it wouldn't meet criteria. So then we had to design it differently, and then it wouldn't work the way we wanted it to. So there was a lot of time that went into designing it the way we wanted it, and I'm. I'm personally quite happy with the way it turned out. I mean, fr from a from a looks point of view, it's it's quite the part, I must admit. When you say it wasn't quite working right, so are you able to test this at, at school? Is that correct? Um, our school, personally, we couldn't test it because it's our school's first year sending any teams, so we didn't really have the equipment to test it out, and we didn't have an, and we ran out of time to go to Newton Moore to test it on their track, so we didn't do much testing. We did the test with like the fan and the powder to get the airflow and that was all we could manage as our school didn't have the facilities to do it. It's pretty crucial isn't it? I mean these cars are not hanging about. They, they get down that track, that 20 metre track in, in about a second. So, so airflow, even though they're only small cars, is crucial for these things isn't it? Oh yeah, the airflow is definitely cru uh, crucial, especially the weight too. The lighter the car, the faster it would go. But also, you don't want the car to be so light that it just snaps easily. Now hats off to your school as well. So this is the first year you guys have done it? Yep. So, um, we've got two teams that have come up with us, uh, the team next to us over here. And we started working on them about a term and a half ago. So we, have, we had to kind of cram everything in all in one go, get, get everything organised so we knew what we had to get done and then had to do all the trial and error, see what we weren't doing right and what we had to fix and then end up with this result which we're all really happy with. <laughs> no it is, it's, it's uh, quite good and it's, it's off to you guys and to your school as well for, for giving you the time to do that and the, and the tools to do it as well. So one of our interviewees that we've interviewed over the years that's been lucky enough to get two interviews, or we've been lucky enough to get two interviews out of him I guess, was Harry Haig. Uh, he gave us two interviews on episode 46 and 74. Harry, larger than life, no doubt. Let's just have a listen to some of the insight he gives into Drag Challenge. By, in episode 74, he'd won the event. In episode 46, I think he came second. But anyway, let's just have a listen to some of his interviews that we've done with him over the years. Really great guy from Shepparton in Victoria, and we really appreciate his time. Thanks for joining us, Simon, and uh, we're in the presence of someone, we've got a big interview today, and uh, we're in the presence of not only Drag Week extraordinaire. Drag, drag Challenge. Drag Challenge. No Mercy. No Mercy 9 <laughs> extraordinaire, Harry Haig. Harry, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey boys, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for taking the time out to join us. Harry, we got a lot of questions. I've got one that... Well, I won't start off with that question. I'm going to leave that for a bit later as a bit of a surprise. Anyway, <laughs> I guess one of the questions that our listeners would really like to know is, how did you actually get started in drag racing and what were some of the first cars you raced? Um, we got started. I wasn't, didn't really know anything about drag racing. We got started. We were, in, we were doing the burnouts for a while and got sick of trash and shit every weekend and, and I'd drive it to... Um, a bit of a lead foot so every time I'd go out I'd just I'd blow the thing to pieces and push the crank out of it so um, a couple of boys were getting in the drag race and whatever and um, I thought it was pretty easy just getting the biggest motor you can and shoving a car and uh, 
it'll be all easy. But uh, I learnt very fast on my first day, my turbo big block, when I went 10-0 all day, that this wasn't the case. And the, the right-hand sill was nearly dragging the ground because it had stand suspension and stuff in it. So, yeah, it was a pretty quick introduction to drag racing, which was probably uh, six or seven years ago was when we started building the HQ, and uh, yep. it sort of went from there. So, so with uh, Pop Triple Six, how did that come about? It, 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 uh, it looks like it was a bit of a barn find. It come about, it was actually the car that my wife used to get driven to school in um, every day. So when I first met her, our first date, they live out on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And as you do when you go to a farm, you're poking your head in sheds. And I've seen this car in there, it was probably a 40-foot shed. It was right at the front, had hay bales and horse rugs and it was all covered in dust. And I opened the door and inside of it was immaculate. I thought, man, I've got to get this car. So I hammered her, um, hammered you know, the father-in-law for probably 12 years, uh, <laughs> constantly, every time I'd say, every Christmas, every time we'd come around, he wouldn't give it up. And then one afternoon, we're sitting here with the boys, we just knocked off work, and um, he rings me up and he goes, I've just bought a tractor and it won't fit in the shed. If you want this car, you better get over it quick. And I said to the boys, <laughs> drop what you're doing, get in that tilt train, drive it as fast as you can over there before he changes his mind. So when we... Uh, when we got it, the condition was I had to do something cool with it and uh, and uh, make it go fast because he'd seen a couple of my other cars. So, hence the name Pop Triple Six. Pop is Pop, and Triple Six is the devil, which is uh, my mother-in-law. So that's how the number plate <laughs> corresponds to the car. Another one doing the double header is Mitch Lana as well. Great guy, Mitch, and um, Mitch Junior. That is, and uh, he's also given us two interviews, episode forty-seven and fifty-seven. We had him on the on Skype for one episode, and then we had him in the actual studio for the on episode fifty-seven. He gave us a great insight into the world of drifting, and uh, back in the day, he was participating in Ireland and travelling around the world. Uh, these days, with the coronavirus, he's been grounded here, but he's still doing a lot of great great work and some great drifting. Uh, let's just have a listen to a couple of his interviews as well. Okay, as promised, we've got Mitch Lana in the studio, Drift Sensation. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on uh, for the second time now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good to be back on the show. Glad to have, have uh, to come back and yeah, give you guys a bit more of insight into what we've been doing the last few months and since the last time we spoke. Yeah, we probably should have added that as well. I mean, we've we've had you on the podcast before. I think it was episode 48 from memory or 47. But if you look back, if you go back to our podcast, we had a big, long chat about lots of things back then. But we want to get you back in because since then you've done so many things. But before we go, what you've done just recently, a lot of our listeners are new to new to this radio program and podcast so if you can just recap on the island experience and what led up to getting yourself over to Ireland yep so um, just to start it off um, obviously um, as you just uh, announced my name's Mitch Lana I'm a 23 year old privateer um, motorsport um, race car driver I, um, I mainly focus on drifting um, I do branch out to other things as well my family's known for drag racing go-karting and all that stuff so I'm not just a one-minded driver I do like to do all different things and um, obviously do compete in um, circuit racing stuff like that as well when I get the opportunity um, so starting from the beginning um, here locally I'm a four-time West Australian champion um, I've won three seasons of D1WA and one season of uh, Drift Car um, I've been actively competing here for the last six or seven years now. Um, 
obviously I'm only 23 so I started quite young um, but yeah so from there once I got my fourth championship um, I decided you know obviously we need to make another step forward um, try and keep motion going try and keep up with everything we're doing and um, that's when we turned our attention to Ireland um, a lot of people probably think of like why would you go to such a little country that no one really talks about or anything like that but um, Ireland is actually the home of one of the biggest championships in the world mm. And uh, if you see on Facebook, they've renamed their brand now to Drift Games. Um, it yep. used to be called the IDC. Um, but yeah, so it's one of the biggest championships in the world. Um, there's former Drift, IDC, BDC and Drift Masters. That's uh, the main live-streamed events that everybody knows about. And um, affordability, accessibility and making stuff happen and work, um, we chose to, to go with Ireland. Um, I was lucky enough to go over there for one round in 2016 to try and meet new people, um, build a base and you know start from start from scratch in another country and uh, while I was there we didn't get any good results or anything like that, we were driving a car we never drove that was undeveloped for a pro class and, and whatnot. so made the most of uh, meeting the right people, talking to the right people and um, lucky enough I became good friends with uh, Richard at Bradley Motorworks and he said to me right before I left, he's like if you want to build a car you can come here we'll look after you, you can have the workshop, you can do what you need to do. Mm. So in the six months we had in between that and um, having the time to actually get the car ready, me and my dad made a plan. My dad's uh, Dubbo Performance, for those that uh, know who that is. Um, they're based um, in Bibber Lake and they work on LS-based Commodores, mm. Nissans, anything with an LS engine. Um, and so yeah, all my cars are all LS engine, V8. Um, so. It's a lot to cram in in a couple of seconds and minutes just to, to get you guys to know who I am. But yeah, so long story short, we spent six months uh, preparing to go to Ireland to build a new car. And um, in 14 days, we built a car from scratch to a full competitive pro um, championship racing car that um, we actually got fifth in the season overall for my first season. So first season competing out of Australia, first season on semi-slicks, first season with over 600 horsepower. And obviously, yeah, just... Everything completely different ball game. Mm. Never, never had anything to do with something like that or level of um, competition like that. Yeah. All right. Look, we'll take a short break here, and we'll be back with more right after this. Hi, it's Nick here from the Talk and Power Podcast. We are proud to announce Auto One as our brand partner for the podcast. Auto One, it's the one. You can now order online with click and collect or get your order shipped. Head to www.auto1.com.au Like us at the podcast, Auto One has a passion for cars and all things automotive. They understand your love of cars too. With great prices and the biggest brands you know and trust, they are sure to be able to help you with your project, whether it be replacing your wiper blades, fitting out your four-wheel drive with the latest gear, or rebuilding your dad's old HQ Holden. Not sure on how to install those spotlights? Don't panic. Just head to the website and click on the do-it-yourself videos and Rico will talk you through the process. From Auto One in Albany up to Auto One in Caratha, across to Auto One in Townsville, down to Auto One in Hobart, and over 50 stores in between. Auto One has a retail store nearby with expert advice and the stock on hand. Auto One is committed to bringing you the brands you know and trust at great prices. 
coupled with the team's knowledge and experience, Auto One, it's the one. So episode 50, how can we forget episode 50? It's one of the biggest episodes we've actually done. And the reason why I say that is it was uh, we actually started up uh, a Hemi, had some cake, and we also introduced you to our second co-host, Todd Brinkworth. Let's just have a listen to episode 50 and um, how that went about. Talking Power Podcast, right, we're ready. starting up the Hemi. When you're ready. Look, this podcast is a little bit different. As you heard, episode 50, um, we started up the Simon's car, so that's that's running now and uh, hasn't been running for five? Five years. Five years has been parked up. And what, Nick, the number five, what a perfect way to celebrate our 50th podcast. 50th podcast. So 50th. The, oh, well, actually, right, maybe it's here. the 40th. <laughs> Could be now. the 40th now. <laughs> We've got a candle Just out here. Just let me relight this. What a perfect way to celebrate yeah. by uh, getting B.A. Baracus back out, now a member of the Small Time Mafia. Yeah, you are. You are the <laughs> member of the Small Time Mafia. And uh, if you watch some of the videos, you will see me absolutely crapping my Dax, uh, <laughs> shooting through the doorway when I saw that massive flame pop out of the exhaust. But that's all right. Uh, yeah, so look, I mean, yeah, pretty excited about that. But anyway, let's just get through the formalities, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Simon. 50 episodes, well done. Nick, thank you. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be part of this. I know you've, you've lost a lot of uh, followers because of it, but no, hey. No, dreaming, dreaming. <laughs> you've probably picked up a lot more. Yeah, we have. We have picked up a lot. And, and thanks to all of our viewers. Let's just blow out these candles. All right, one, two, three. All right, we've got Todd Brinkworth, who was our man on the ground down at the Bathurst 12 Hour this year. Thanks for coming on, Todd, and we really appreciate your time. Yeah, good. How are you going? Oh, very well, very well. And look, we really appreciate your time. And uh, you're you're actually the inaugural ground reporter for Talk and Power podcast. So, welcome aboard. Uh, all right, thank you. Bye. Hey Todd, just tell us a bit about. I mean, I know you are. You're pretty. Simon speaks very highly of you. You're pretty close to a lot of races. You've been. You've been following a number of disciplines over the years in in motorsport. So tell us. Just give us a brief rundown on yourself before we get stuck into the Bathurst 12 hour. Um, yeah, mainly a big fan of motorsport and just sort of. Uh, I guess you say a coattail rider, but a helper yep. to a lot of um, various guys in the WA motorsport scene. Uh, hill climb, circuit racing, um, even got into sprint cars every now and then at Quinana. I've been looked at drag racing, done media for drag racing, hot rod shows, 
yeah, I can't even think of what else I've actually done telling you the truth. But uh, if it has a you know engine in it, I'm normally there and I can uh, enjoy it. So. No, that's excellent. It's a lot like myself, yeah. really. I've, I've never actually participated, with the exception of a couple of Wednesday night meets down the track. But, um, you know, people like yourself and myself, you know, we we're on the ground and we'd like to tell the stories, I guess, you know, and and get the the stories out there. So, no, we really appreciate you coming on, Todd. Following up the efforts of uh, episode fifty. Uh, it was episode 51, and we had a local drag racer, but world-renowned, uh, Anthony Begley. He'd had a massive explosion at the motorplex on the start line and uh, made the media, I guess, for all the wrong reasons. But we had Anthony come on the podcast. He gave up his time to come on, and uh, we really appreciated it. Not only that, Anthony, we believe, is the first father and daughter team to come on the podcast. In episode 92, we had Emma come on as well, his daughter, who also races Nitro Funny Car. So let's just have a listen to both of their interviews here. Hey, Anthony. How you going, boy? Good, good. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast for us. Um, much appreciated. No worries, mate. Hey, um, let's just kick off, and I'm going to rattle off a uh, few classes and you tell me yay or nay if I've got this right or wrong top fuel yeah. nitro funny car yeah. top door slammer yeah. top alcohol yeah. super sedan yeah. super street yeah. have I missed double any? A funny car Oh, double A funny car yeah double A car. funny car so competition eliminator yes. my apologies there you go I did miss one now, now, now he's, he's got me. He's got me on top fuel and nitro funny car, right? He's got me yeah. on competition eliminator, but he hasn't raced bikes yet. Uh, that's what I wouldn't mind. I want to have a go on a top fuel Harley. You <laughs> see, he's raining on my parade, Nick. Yeah, he is. He is. But you know, you know that's what that's what all these blow ups. Yeah, that's what all these blow ups are about. That's it, exactly. Getting used to it. <laughs> hey, Anthony, let's just... I mean, we'll, we'll kick off with the elephant yeah. in the room. The big the big yeah. blow-up at the Perth yeah. Motorplex a couple of weeks ago. Just, in yeah. my opinion, it's actually not your biggest blow-up. I think if I wind my memory back, 2013 at Western Sydney, I thought that was a lot scarier and a lot yeah. bigger. Yeah, mate, definitely, Nick. It definitely was. Um, 2013. Mm. Um, this this one here, it basically it blew the the top off of the car. Yep. And yep. Uh, and and pretty much went out. You know, it's it, like there was no flames. There was no anything. It, it pretty much well went bang, and mm. then it was all over. Yeah. You know, when I got out of the car. I got out of the car pretty well straight away, and there was a uh, a little bit of flame around about around the header on the left hand side, and that was about it. But um, definitely that one in uh, Sydney was probably the biggest one I've had. Yeah. Um, and it was um, yeah, I was uh, it pretty much blew up at half track, which I think. Um, at the half track markers, I think the car was doing uh, about bit over 250 mile an hour mm. when it felt, when it went bang. So, you know, all I tried to do there was uh, get it stopped. I couldn't see anything from almost the point of it going bang. 
And, um, yeah, no, it was definitely a big one, and that was probably a lot more scarier as far as, um, you know, you knew you had to get the car stopped. I was in the flames, obviously, from from that point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in the flames until the car, till I safely got the car stopped yeah. and uh, got out of it. And I, I didn't, at one stage, yeah, I didn't even know how fast it was going due to the smoke and the, mm. and the flame. It was, uh, it was one of those things that you, your sense of uh, how fast you're going or even where you're going uh, was sort of uh, all out the door at yeah. that point. Yeah, that's if, the, if, I, if I remember correctly, that that uh, was um, broadcast live over the internet, and I was watching it because only a few weeks earlier, you and I were racing each other, and I had that big um, top yeah, end, and I thought, right. Anthony, he's always got to outdo me this bloke. Well, <laughs> always got to outdo me. I mean, inherently, your family is from drag racing. You, you know, you come from a drag racing family. I have to ask. I think a lot of people would like to grow up in that environment but tell us inherently did that have pressures with it as well look growing up in a family of uh, drag racers obviously as you said before you've had my dad on the podcast as well and i'm sure you've heard all these crazy wild drag racing stories <laughs> yes. um i grew up listening to them every night at our dinner table and things like that so it was something um that i guess i was already into um, from such a young age and it was a big passion for me I it definitely did bring some pressures along the way I always wanted to be a drag racer from such yeah. a young age and at the start dad wasn't too sure he um, was a little bit hesitant to let me get in a junior dragster and it took me years and years of begging him and showing him different junior dragsters for him to actually let me get in one and um, from there, obviously, moving on to Super Street and then stepping into the funny car. Look, there's definitely a pressure to do my dad proud, I think. But dad, I can say dad's never put the pressure on me. Um, he's always said to do what's in what I'm comfortable with and what I want to do. And he will always support that. So in episode 53, we were racing. Simon was racing the BA in uh, radio, Outlaw Radio. And uh, we did another outside broadcast. I really enjoyed this one here because the, the BA, he took the win for the night as well. So let's just catch up episode 53. We had a lot of fun actually recording this episode down at the track with a couple of the guys as well. Episode 53 of the Talking Power podcast. We're live down here at the Perth Motorplex. It live is, at the Plex. We are live at the Plex, all right? And we've got props. I've got some props next to me that we're going to show you in a minute. So this is very an interactive podcast. I feel sorry for those that are listening to us because and, um, and Nick's positioned the camera so you can't see me. No, so you can. I can. I'm, I check that. I feel like Dicky Knee. <laughs> Just no, actually, the hair's a bit Dicky Knee today, isn't it? It is. You are in need of a haircut, I must say. <laughs> I know, but my wife and I have got this deal that I can't get a haircut until she gets one. Oh, okay. Well, so that could um, be a while. My wife's hair grows very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, it's, you know, because someone needs to look after Nicholas. Yeah. No, you know fair I mean? enough. Yeah, yeah. So, so if I, I go and get a haircut, I'll yep. do it during work. Yeah. So no one can look after Nicholas. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I'm with you. I'm hearing you. I feel kind of naked without headphones on. Without, oh, hang on. I'll, I'll use the technical term, without cans on. I could probably put a couple of Coke cans on. <laughs> Made me feel the same. So here we are at the Savannah at the we're, Perth Motorplex. We're, we're deep in the pit area. We're not as, as uh, lucky as the uh, 
February 16th, mate. No, we're, we're not. In fact, we're further away from the action than Super Street. In fact, if Junior Dragster was running, we'd be further away than Junior Dragster. But that's okay. We're all down here. All the all the outlaw guys are down here as well. Outlaw ra- outlaw guys, radial guys are down here as well. So lucky, lucky Britain filled up the tow vehicle. Yeah, yeah, he's got. Because <laughs> it's a hell of a long drive to get from. He's got 400 litres of diesel on board, so <laughs> we're going to use every bit of it. Todd here with us as well. He's he's joined us today. Todd's been responsible for a lot of our um, a lot of our videoing and uh, stuff we did at Race Wars. And, and Todd is our out. roving reporter. He is our roving reporter. He's going to be. be. When I can be. <laughs> you need to actually hold that microphone close yeah, to your mouth. I told you that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, louder, louder. <laughs> right, right there, like. Just right, crank so it. Yeah. You know, like a footy crank commentator. It, you know, like that, like Bruce McElhaney or something like that. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, no, basically hold the microphone there. Right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's way better. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to say what it looks like when they're doing that, but anyway. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> so for those of you watching, this is why it's important to watch us. You'll see there's some silverware. It's not silver, but... No. In, in this case, it's blue and Blue? Black. It's kind of cool. It's woodware. It's woodware. It's got... Aeroflow on it, so I'm not really sure that it's cool. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so uh, and that's first place winner radial class tonight. So we're quite excited about that. This man has bought it home, uh, got through the round robin series. Me and Eddie Tassani from Active Automotive's in the final. Eddie actually drove around me. Unfortunately, red lit. Um, so I got the win. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, I've got to tell you, right, how privileged am I to have raced the first 200-mile-an-hour LS-powered streetcar in Australia. Now, now tell us, Simon. I mean, you and Eddie go back. I actually remember I was there as well. You go back to the 90s with Eddie. We've spoken about Eddie before, and we had him on at Race Wars, but it was a very brief chat. We have to get him back, obviously. Uh, but... You know, you guys go back a long way. A lot. Eddie's always been the king of the streetcars. Like, a lot of people don't like to admit it, but he was the first to run a nine um, mm. in the modern era. That's there right. Was the, there was the Joe's Caltex utility. Yep. That, uh, the guy's name, you know, escapes me, but that car was a fairly radical car for the big block nitrous, yep. quick change rear end, ladder bar, um, you know, heftily lightened. Yep. Um... But yeah, in the modern era, the Tirana was officially the first. Yep. Uh, I believe Ferroni also ran a nine at the same meeting. Yep. The thing that always amazed me with Ed was, you know, you you become loyal to a brand, I guess. I mean, a lot of people say that I'm a Ford guy. Yeah. I race a Ford-bodied um, vehicle. It's got a Hemi in it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everyone knows that if you want to build a race engine, you could use a Hemi. But anyway... <laughs> Won't get into that debate, um, but he he decided to go down the road of the 308, which yep. always surprised me because you could have done a Chev a lot easier, yeah. and he went on to kick a lot of goals with that motor. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, not only running the first nine, and that was naturally aspirated mm, too. That's right. You know. Now it'd be remiss of me not to mention episode 55. Now in episode 55, that was actually our first episode that was syndicated to 88.5 FM. So we brought about structure, I guess, to the podcast. We had to basically 
uh, make segments up uh, so it could fit into a radio format and a time slot on Saturday mornings. Uh, with that, on episode 55, we also interviewed Andra, uh CEO now, Brett Stevens, um, at the Andra Grand Final, which was held at the Perth Motorplex. So let's just have a listen to a bit of that uh, episode right here. Okay, I'm Nick DeChumbri. I'm here with co-host Simon Gonzo Travellini and co-host Todd Brinkworth. Thanks for joining us, guys. You are listening to the Talk and Power podcast. We are now transmitting on 88.5 FM. Where the valley comes alive. Welcome to all of our listeners through the city of Swan and... Allenbrook. Allenbrook. From Bellevue to... Beach Barrow. And everywhere in between. So welcome to all of our new listeners. Everywhere. Everywhere that there's a valley. <laughs> We're there. Hey, if you're listening to us for the first time, you can catch up with us also on iTunes and Stitcher or go to the Talk and Power website, www.talkandpower.com.au. And for those listeners that are not familiar with what we do, we're a motoring and motorsport podcast based in Western Australia. And we're really happy to be here. We are. Yeah, we are. Exciting times, guys. So, yeah, look, um, yeah. So, for those of you that haven't heard of us before and listening through 88.5 FM, we're really happy to be here. And, um, yeah, you can catch us anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. I'm here with the General Manager of the Australian National Drag Racing Association, Brett Stevens. Brett, thanks for coming on to the podcast and thanks for bringing the grand final of the series to WA. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be over in WA again at the Perth Motorplex, and it's great to have the final of the Summit Racing Equipment Sportsman Series for the first time in Western Australia. I was just about to ask that because I've been following the sport for 28 years, and I don't recall the grand final ever being here, so I thought that was the case. I mean, we've had plenty of Western Nationals. We've had uh, lots of Andrew events, obviously, over the years, but I don't recall the grand final being here, so... Really appreciate you guys bringing that out to Western Australia, and it's good to see crowds starting to fill up. The pit uh, bays are quite full, so yeah, it's it's a testament to Andrew and what they've done. Yeah, it certainly is exciting. It is the first time that the finals have been here. West Australian competitors for a long time have travelled to the east, have travelled to north to race as part of the series, and as much as anything, this is a reward for those guys that they get to race for the finals of the series in their home track. Yes, yeah, certainly. Look, Brett, just a question, I guess, without notice. It's been a nine-round uh, series this, this season. Any particular highlights? I think because we, we move around so much, each track, each lot of local races all have their own personality. So whether we're in Mildura or Portland or the Northern Territory, either of the tracks in the Territory or over here in Perth, I think each track has its personality and each track does as much as it can to support the series and to look after any competitors that travel. So it's great to be part of the Motorplex and um, the Andrew Grand Final and also episode 55 being our first for the radio. We were pretty keen to impress so we felt that was a good kickoff into the radio. Anyway, we'll take a short break here and we'll be back with more right after this. So by episode 58, uh, we were able to get a media pass at the Bubba Gallo Raceway 
And uh, there we were able to interview uh, Dick Johnson from Dick Johnson Racing and Brad Jones from Brad Jones Racing. And it was great for them to give up their time for the podcast. We really appreciated it. Let's just have a listen to those interviews here. Hey, I'm with Brad Jones from Brad Jones Racing. Brad, thanks for joining us today. No worries, no trouble, Nick. Brad, um, the resurface of the Barbagallo surface, how has that, um, I mean, obviously it's helped you. Um, you surprised by how slick it is now, how quick it is? Um, I, uh, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, sped the whole thing up. It's quite an interesting texture that they've put down here where um, I don't think we've quite seen the sort of grip that we... You know, we saw a Bathurst when they reserviced it or Tail and Bend. So I think it's a, a very different mix of material. So, um, but the other thing is over here, it seems to weather pretty harshly. So hopefully there'll be some longevity in the surface that they put down. Yeah, certainly. I think the last resurface here was probably in the late 90s. And you're, you're right, it did weather pretty significantly a few years after that. Tell us, just in that last practice session a bit, a couple of hours ago, would you have got much from that practice, given that we're racing two night sessions here? Ah, uh, yeah, well, look, we're going to be qualifying in a little while, so I think that, you know, that practice session's all about about qualifying and and um, and, and getting on top of things. So I think any time you run the car, you learn a little bit. Um, we just need to, you know, tonight is very different. There's no sun, the place is a lot cooler. Um, you know, we were expecting very little degradation from the new surface, but turns out there is some. So, um, you know, you learn a little bit, but it's, you know, it's probably not as as ideal as last night was. No, no worries. Hey, look, Brad, we'll let you get back to it anyway, and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. No worries. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me along. Dick, Nick from the Talking Power podcast. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Welcome back to Western Australia. Um, you've been here many years. Um, how are things going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. They've obviously done a lot of improvements, certainly to the surface of the racetrack. It's been resurfaced and uh, and everything's going really well. The elephant in the room will ask it. The rear wing changes, has it affected you guys much? Mate, don't ask me. I don't know any of that crap, you know. You might as well go and ask the engineers. They're the ones that tell you that. No, no worries, no worries. And I see Roger's in town as well this, this week. Great to have him on board. Yeah, he comes over to Perth uh, pretty much every year because he has a lot of business interests over here and and uh, he, he does a lot of interaction with his customers and that. So, uh, But it's always great to have him around the race team and he really loves this series. He really does. I can see that. I mean, yeah, he's, he's certainly engaged with this series and you guys are doing really well. Hey, look, Dick, we'll let you get back to it and thanks for joining us on the podcast. No, my pleasure, mate. Cheers. Thank you. So episode 61 and 62 roll about and by this stage Todd has a lot of contacts in Targa West, always has, and uh, he's trying to get us to be more involved with, with Targa West and we felt there was certainly a need for us to do that. So by episode 61 and 62 we were interviewing David Smith from Targa West and also Mark Greenham who had won the Targa Southwest that year as well. So um, we really appreciated their time on, on coming on the podcast. And Todd's done a lot of work in Targa and has certainly opened the doors for us to get into Targa and all those associated activities. We have a very special guest in the studio with us uh, today, David Smith for Targa West. Thanks for joining us, David. No worries. Good to be here, Nick. Look, before we get stuck right into Targa West in the upcoming, well, the upcoming Targa West, tell us a bit about yourself, David, <laughs> and, and how you got involved in... To, not only just into Targa West, but in, in any more sort of motorsport background you have? No, look, the older I get, the faster I was, like normal. <laughs> um, I first got involved in rallying 
back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, went to a, a WA car club um, rally school. I had a, in fact you'd know this, I had a, a wannabe rally car, I had a Ford Laser TX3 four-wheel drive at the time, um, but didn't really have the budget to actually run full-time you know, as rally cars, so I did intra-level motor carners and, and bits and pieces like that and helped out with um, you know, rally officials, broke a number of gearboxes, um, actually won a couple of state titles in, in the Motocana Championship. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why they actually put four-wheel drives in a separate class, because I kept beating the two-wheel drives on gravel. <laughs> um, I'd say it was probably equipment more than skill, just quietly. Um, then probably five or six years ago, um, Bob Schrader, one of the founders of Targa West, decided it was time for him to, to wind down a bit and head into retirement. Ross asked me if I'd like to be involved a bit more with Targa West on a full-time basis, um, which I jumped at. I reckon Bob's probably busier now than he ever has been in his retirement. <laughs> um, but I'd known Ross for heaps of years, like, oh, too many years, um, through the WA Car Club and, and the Gravel Rally Championship, including you know, running the Forest Rally with Ross, um, which is a round of the WA, or WA's round of the Australian Rally Championship, um, and obviously through Targa West as well. And basically, the opportunity to work from home, um, was a bit too much to pass up on, mm, yeah, particularly in an, in an area that you enjoy. But oh yeah, I've got another couple of motorsport records too. I won two Motocana State Champion Bucket Bashers Award, which is <laughs> apparently go. the award for hitting the most flags, which apparently you're not supposed to hit. <laughs> um, but I prefer to think of those as trophies recognising my exuberant driving style and the flags were just unfortunate collateral damage. <laughs> Okay, episode 62 of the Talk and Power podcast, and as promised, we've got with us Mark Greenham. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Winner, we should probably introduce you formally. Yeah, we should. Mark Greenham, winner of Targa Southwest, and hopefully going to improve on that third spot at Targa West this year. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, Targa Southwest is been pretty good to us over the years um i think i've won three of them now but every time we uh try and get that uh the big one the four-day event uh we have something that always pops up and works against us but uh, we did have our best result last year uh coming third uh with steph even though um, i think we dropped down to about ninth or tenth on the second early in the second day and had to fight our way back but um no hopefully uh if we i think if we just have uh, a good smooth run at um, at uh, Targa West. Um, we'll be doing all right, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can get there first. It's still, uh, I think it's what 11 weeks away now. I think. I'm oh, counting it down. Weeks. This man's yeah. counting it down. No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> so in episode 56, we also had uh, someone else do the double header, and that was uh, Denver Denver Parker. He in episode 56 and 73. By episode 73, he'd won the WA Streetcar Championship, so we had him back a second time. But let's just have a, have a listen to both of his interviews as well. Great guy, Denver, and very helpful for the podcast. Always gives us a lot of feedback and a lot of info as well. And we have a special guest in the studio with us again, Denver Parker. Welcome back. Great Hello. to have you back here. Thanks for having me. No, that's great. We, we love having guests in here. We love yeah. just to give a different view on things. So you're going to hang around for the whole podcast, are you? Yeah, well, you guys have been having lots of fun lately, so... We have know. been having yeah. lots of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, did you, did you take out the championship? I did. Congratulations, Cheers, mate. mate. Yeah, it was good. It was awesome. So, like, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I want you just to start off the show. Just tell us a bit, like, what, what does it mean to you to win a championship? 
uh, it's been one of those things we've been trying to get for a few years. So working away kind of makes it a bit hard because sometimes race meets just land on weeks and it works. So for the last few years, I sort of I've alternated between racing for the for the year and taking the time off needed, or going and doing something else. So mm. yeah, I've been alternating between Targa and, and racing, but. So this was the second year I've been able to do a full season and line up for all the races and luckily jagged it. Two years ago I had a go at it and then I had a, a couple of DNFs and races and that was it ultimately cost me that time. So, yeah. you know. You know, that, that is my favourite class there, 100%. I think the rules are the most awesome rules in racing in Australia at the moment. They're, they're pretty open slather now, so you, you should come. Bring, oh. bring, bring, bring your BMW out. Let's put a roll cage in and go. <laughs> I'm a 180 guy. <laughs> 180 with a maybe a um, 4G63 in it. We've, we've <laughs> talked about this. In, <laughs> we have. Are you uh, trying to lowball into his age? <laughs> no, I, I just I um, I love that formula that they've got. Mm. You know, Andrew from Hyperdrive and myself talk about it all the time, and we're both number crunchers. So we'll sit there and go, you know, well you can have. It'll be this minimum weight. It'll be this tyre size. How much power we make? You know? <laughs> yeah, but see, he's got the weight advantage on, well, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. He's like 1,100 kilos, so, yeah. Tell, Denver, just quickly tell us. It's a street car racing that you won the championship for. Yep. Just tell us a bit about this formula that Simon talks about. It's almost the wrong way you're wrong. So we, we loosely follow the, the 3D sports and our rules mm -hmm. um, with a lot more restrictions, so we can't have as much aero and you know slicks and stuff like that. We run a control semi-slick. Um, but these days, yeah, it is very open as to what you can put in the engine bay. Um, mm. You know, it doesn't have to run what it came with for a variation of the manufacturer. So, you know, if it came with a six, you could put a V8 from someone else or, yeah. you know, a bigger turbo, you know, whatever. There's, yeah, there's rules to capacity and weight and stuff like that. But, you know, it's sequential gearboxes, big brakes, good speed. You can change pretty much everything. Yeah. So you can yeah. run the sequentials now. Yeah. Yeah, right. So <laughs> you, you're not going to like that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> We don't run carbs either. <laughs> <laughs> On episode 75 of the podcast, we did another interview over Skype, and this time it was with Jason Hedges and Danny Silva. Now, these guys are um, uh, pro-stock legends and super-stock legends as well. And uh, we'll certainly get him back to a bit, focus a little bit on drag racing. And I really enjoyed this interview that we did with uh, Jason Hedges and Danny Silva. Let's just have a listen to that one here. Kicking this one off, we have two special guests with us on this episode. We've got winner of the Atlantic Oils uh, East Coast Thunder in pro stock, Jason Hedges, and his uh, crew chief and engine builder, Danny Silva. Thanks for joining us, guys. No, thank you very much. Nah, no dramas. Hey, look, we'll, we'll get started. We'll, we'll talk about the Atlantic Oils uh, East Coast Thunder. What an amazing event, and congratulations, Jason. It's your, your first win in pro stock. Yes, mate. We've had a few bridesmaids over the 10 years I've competed in this class. In saying that, I've had a probably out of the 10 years, I've probably only raced six. We had a couple of years off mm. at my choice, and one year off, not our choice, when we hurt, hurt this motor. But, you know, thank goodness Danny contacted me and said, I'll help you put it back together, and you know this was our really our first real hit of a race meeting since Danny put it together, and we come away with a goal. So fantastic result for the team's AHR. It, it is an awesome effort, and I know you've um, run it up four times, but this was 
this was a, an amazing win. And I, look, I'm, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't able to get over there and watch it, but I have watched all the qualifying and all the racing. And I'll, I'll just set the scene for our listeners. So let's be honest, in Q3, you still weren't in the field. So you were you were sitting in ninth, correct me if I'm wrong, in, as you're going into Q3. Yes, I'm laughing as you say that because here I was from Thursday when I set up, when all the boys started arriving, I said, look, there's no way we're not missing here. We need to be here on race day. And then come after Q2, and I was giving the boys six, saying, you know, we're, we're not going to be the ones packing up on Friday night. And and it was sort of a silence across, and I, I, I didn't want to open the mouth again because here we were, we were sitting in nine. And it's like, you know, wow, you know, all my nightmares have come true. And, <laughs> but um, we, we discovered something that we were missing on the car, which is always with these crazy pro-stop cars and, and the heat and the track. Everything changes, so... Hmm. Damn, we were lucky to come away with that. I think we were first pair out. Is that right, Danny? Yeah. We were yeah. first pair out. So, yeah, we did a nice big, fat, juicy burnout. And then and um, she went down, she went straight. And I think, yeah, so that, that was that was the monkey off the back. And I think that set the scene that, you know, hey, we can get better from here. Yeah, I mean, from ninth, you jumped into fourth. You went an 0-3-1 on that, on that Q3. So you were well and truly entrenched in the top half of the field. Now, that's the other thing I want to just touch on before we get too far into the event. It was a 13 car, 13 pro-stock cars turned up, am I correct? There was 13 nominated. Um, I think Daryl Stephen and his two, his two Mustangs, just, they just weren't ready. He was oh, okay. hoping to have them there, so he pre-entered, hoping he could do it, but just that you know, his moons didn't line up. And I think we went into the day with nine. Was yeah. it nine, Dan? Nine, I think yeah, it was nine. nine. Yeah, and then... And then um, you know, Clint George, God love him. You know, we were so happy for him to come out, and we used to give it to Clint, come up the pro stop, come up the pro stop. He finally did, and, mm. and then you know, the poor thing had that incident in the braking yeah. area, and, and um, yeah. So, but yeah, it ended up being nine. So we we were still the the largest field for the the pro series categories, which was good. But um, you know, there's, there's 25 pro stop cars I can count that are in sheds that could come out and run, yeah, and run well. So there's there's still a lot of cars out there. So He's hoping that the, the sport turns around and we see more cars on the track. All right, we'll take a short break there and we'll be back with more right after this. All right, thanks for tuning in. This is a best of our 100 episodes over the years. Just out of interest, it's taken us roughly three and a half years to get to the hundred episode mark we started out in april of 2017 we hit the 100th episode by december of 2020 speaking of 2020 it was a really big year and i can honestly say that you know we really interviewed with the onset of covid um as sad as it is to say with the onset of covid and uh with the invention of zoom we were able to interview probably more people in 2020 than we've ever done and um look there were some really great episodes there one that got us into not into trouble but certainly got our name out there was an interview we did on episode 86 with uh sam scudis and vic Borales from uh operation radial freedom uh that was episode 86 and uh we just talked about the state of drag racing in australia let's just have a listen to that interview here tonight we are joined by Operation Radial Freedom Weekly, their Facebook show and Instagram show, the Jet 275 team. Welcome aboard, Sam and Vic. Thanks for joining us tonight. 
Thank you. Thanks for having us. You guys are like radio royalty. I don't know about royalty. We're probably uh, Australia's most wanted radio racers, but uh, <laughs> we're, it's a big compliment. We're, we're very passionate about it. We are. I, I just, for starters, it's great to see a Commodore that doesn't have an LS in it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, there's one with an RV30 and the other one's got a chef. So I know. No LS to see, mate. And Vic, I've got to tell you, the RB guys over here, they all hate your guts. Mate, I love it, man. Honestly, great. That's a compliment, bro. Just beat them up on a little 235 there. And, I know. Uh, do do. No, it's great, man. It's great. Well, look, before we get before we get too in depth and, too, and a bit political tonight, well, let's let's touch start off with you guys. I mean, your and your and your cars. I think that's important to start off with. Um, Sam, why don't you tell us a bit about your VS HSV um, Club Sport, the small block Chevy, as you said, four hundred. Uh, can you tell us a bit about it? Uh, yeah, so the the car was um, originally purchased because I said to Vic I wanted a a supercharged car for my wedding, and um, so we supercharged that, and Vic got the uh, the duties of doing the biggest burnout in front of the Greek Church of Kingsford, and um, <laughs> drove it to the wedding photos, and then from there it um, it got pulled over a few times by the local constabulary, and um, I uh, I made the decision to turn turn it into a race car, and uh, from there we had a, a three five five um, that Vic had uh, put together that uh, ran I think it was what did it run then? nine. And I was sitting in Subway, I'll never forget at Mascot, just near the airport in Sydney. And uh, Vic goes, uh, you know, the next engine I'm going to get for you, you're going to run what you did at the quarter to half. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, don't stress. He goes, I've got a few things in the pipeline. So, <laughs> so we sourced this, uh, this Chevrolet from, um, from, uh, from the US and it had already run in a Chevelle over there. And um, after a little bit of shoehorning into the car, uh, it's a VS uh, Senator. Um, we, uh, we ended up going 767 at 184 after uh, blood, sweat and tears. Mm. Uh, with the involvement of uh, Vic, obviously, tuning and JW Automotive there doing all of the suspension setup and the, the wiring and, and, uh, and setting the car up on the radials. It still ran a uh, set of 9010 pedal shocks at the front, unfortunately. <laughs> We didn't get to change that because, um, lo and behold, Vic said the same thing to me after I ran that pass. Um, the next engine cost me a fair whack of money, but um, the uh, the next engine that Vic source has gone 592 at uh, 252 mile, and um, that's going to be twin turbo in the Chev. So let's see what it does. Small block as well, Chev. Yeah, so. Also in 2020, we were fortunate enough to interview uh, Phil Lamartina. I really, really enjoyed this interview. We actually did this at Birdswood. Phil had come over here to participate at the Western Nationals in Top Fuel, and uh, we met that morning, and I really enjoyed this interview. Let's just have a listen to Phil Lamartina's interview right here. I'm sitting with legendary Top Fuel driver, Phil Lamartina. Phil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you in Western Australia at the moment. We'll touch on why you're here shortly. Um, but let's get for those listeners that are the uninitiated listeners. Let's just tell tell us a little bit about yourself. You kick things off. I think all legends of Australian drag racing kick kick their careers off in an XW or an XY. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because I got one myself, but not a GT. But tell us, can you tell us all those years ago back in Mildura, 
Uh, you kicked off with an XWGT. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I suppose, um, just go back a little bit of history, I suppose. My dad had an XW, yeah, and um, which he bought brand new. Um, obviously, everyone's got a bit of a story about how, um, you know, they should have kept it and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, cut a long story short, a uh, fair few years ago, we just decided that we would like one. And um, we, um, we found it, a small place uh, in Victoria, southern Victoria, and um, it was a silver one. And at that time there, obviously, they weren't worth what they're, you know, obviously yeah. worth today. But, you know, and, um, yeah, that's how it all sort of started. We brought it, and then, um, same old story, we want to go a little bit faster, and that's where we got introduced to Darren Morgan yep. in Mildura. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, we needed a gearbox built. And um, we went and just rang him up, and uh, that's how we met him. And then um, one thing led to another. He was involved in the Sinatra Drag Racing Association, so the... They were building the eighth mile strip there mm. at the time, and we just got involved and helped out a little bit with building the the strip with the mound and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, they started racing it. Yeah. That's how it all started. Phil, tell us what you think. I mean, of of this. I'm going to jump around with the run sheet a bit here, but what do you reckon that Italians <laughs> get involved in drag? If you look at drag racing in Australia. It is dominated, oh, I shouldn't say dominated, but it, it's, it's heavily influenced by Italian people with Italian descent. Do you think it's that car culture that people like yourself and myself grew up with in the 80s? Oh, me, funny enough, my dad actually doesn't really like cars or anything like <laughs> that. does so, mine. <laughs> so it's, it's actually very interesting, but I think, I think also to, for me, it's been a little bit more of the farming background where we've been involved in, with machinery yeah. and mastering anything that you you operate you know a lot of people say you you know back in the day they just said like you know you drive a tractor or you're driving a truck or you you know driving a car and it doesn't it's not that you mm. you, you need to you know you got to operate that bit of machinery and it's and it's something that i think is just in your dna where you don't want it to beat you yeah and that's you want to master it and then be in control of it mm. and doesn't matter what you're doing, tractor, anything. You just want to be in control of it. So how do you control something? You need to master it, how it operates. Yep. And I think that's the challenge. And then pushing something to the limit to get the most out of it. Yeah. And it could be efficiencies, productivity, them sort of elements. Or you just... We, like we're harvesting carrots when we were younger. And um, we'd be like you know, just help out, like, finish filling the trailers like you would normally do. You yeah. sort of understand that part, you know, farming, and then you sort of clean the machine, the harvester, leave it there, and you jump in the two tractors, and you race your brother to back to the shed. Who can, who took a little bit of a shortcut, you know, through a different pivot or, you know, a headland or something like that, and he's come in, and, you, and you're calculating, and then you're going up a bit of a hill, so you quickly turn the air conditioner off, and you're trying to get a bit of a roller, <laughs> and then he's coming in, he's merging, and you're saying, well... Look, I'll be honest, it's either we're going to crash or I'm going to go first. It's not, there's no in-between. And, um, yeah, so just that, as, yeah, just them aspects of farming, I suppose, and, yeah, and that. Yeah, Also in 2020, we had the privilege of meeting uh, rally great Alastair McRae. He came into the studio and gave us a great interview. Let's just have a listen to that one right here. And we have some special guests in the studio. None other than... Alistair McCrane. Alistair, thanks for joining us. How you doing, boys? And Denver Parker's come in oh, to help back. out. He's yeah. back. 
And Todd, Todd, as usual. Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Hey, Alistair, we'll kick off. We'll, we'll, we'll get stuck into this one. For those that are uninitiated, and you'd have to be pretty uninitiated, I would suggest, not to know the McRae family. I think anyone that's even... I think even my parents who know nothing about cars would know of the McRae family. So tell us a little bit about yourself and... Um, you find yourself in lovely Western Australia these days. Yeah, I've been here for 13 years now. Um, well, as you said, the McRae family names have been involved in motorsport for a long time. Uh, my dad was rallying when I was growing up. Um, he was a, he had a plumbing and heating business, but then his hobby was rallying, which turned into profession, although he kept the business going. So he was five times British champion. Uh, myself and my brother Colm both started rallying. Uh, obviously when we were 17 both into bikes prior to that um, Colin was British champion then world champion and then myself British and Asian Pacific and managed to make a career out of it for pretty much 20 years uh, professional so to turn your hobby into profession uh, and for well three out of the same family to do that mm. it's pretty special and obviously got the name pretty well known throughout the world mm. no certainly certainly the question is, you've been in WA for 13 years, what brought you to WA? Like, it's a lovely place, we can all vouch for that, but how'd you end up here, Alistair? I was just cruising around and thought, this is a nice place. Oh, that, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got, I, met, I met my new wife when we were here rallying back in 99, I think it was, get the dates right. Uh, we did get married in Scotland, had kids there, but then when I stopped competing in the World Championship, when that all kind of quietened down, I was looking at doing some stuff in the Asian Pacific. Um, I always loved coming to Perth. You know, I like the outdoor lifestyle, so to be able to go jet skiing, mountain biking, motorbiking, a bit of rallying, uh, and have some sunshine, which you don't get a lot of in Scotland if you've ever been there. Uh, it was just a, a great opportunity for Tara to come back nearer her family, and then you know to bring kids up. There's not. A, I wouldn't say there's a better place around than, than Perth. Yeah, and I um, I've seen some of your stuff on social media, sort of living up near the beach and going up to the dunes and doing all those things. Interesting, which is, yeah, we have a lot to offer in Perth. We sometimes take it for granted, don't we? Yeah, you know, I think you do when you when you when you live anywhere, you do take it for granted. I mean, for me, Scotland, I would say Scotland would always be home where I was, you know, born and brought up. But yeah. when you when you travel around, uh, there's well, a lot of places that, really that have got great things, but game. Perth seems to have pretty Roscoe much from day-to-day -day life, Perth's got everything you really need. And while we're talking 2020, we really appreciated the time that Alastair McRae gave us. Roscoe McGlashan, another huge interview that Todd had uh, brokered, basically, and worked out with Roscoe and his team. I really enjoyed this one. We did this at Roscoe's premises, uh, where he's still building his Aussie Invader the rocket-powered version. Let's just have a listen to that interview right here with Roscoe McGlashan and Barry Fitzsimmons. Okay, welcome to a very special episode of the Talk and Power podcast. We are recording live here from the garage of Roscoe McGlashan, the holder of the Australian um, land speed record and going for the world speed record very shortly. I'm also here with his offsider Barry, and of course our co-host Todd Brinkworth. Todd, thanks for thanks for organising all this. And Roscoe, thank you very much. And Barry, thanks for your time as well. Yeah, thank no you, problem. guys. Yeah, pleasure. Hey, look, Roscoe. Before we get 
stuck too deep into all of this. The, the, the vehicle that's behind us, just this is the 5R, this is the, I guess we'd call it the fifth incarnation of your of your attempt at a land speed record. That's her, yes. Yep. No worries. Look, I mean, we'll touch on that a little bit a little bit later on. We'll get really stuck into that. But just for those of you watching the video, I hope you're watching the video because um, if you're listening to the podcast, we're doing this as a vlog, as Todd calls it. Is that right, Todd? Yeah, that's the buzzword. <laughs> buzzword. So, yeah, look, I mean, you can catch us on um, YouTube and Facebook, if you're listening to us through the radio um, on 88.5 FM or through our podcast channels, make sure you tune in because this vehicle that's behind us is the world's fastest, well, will be the world's fastest, uh, it will hold the land speed record and it's, you're telling us before, it's the world's most powerful car, 200,000 200, horsepower. 200,000 horsepower and 62,000 pound of thrust, yes. We've interviewed many people on this podcast. So we had John Zappi, and he was pretty impressive. His 3,000 horsepower out of his Monaro. But, I mean, I'll tell you what. I think, you know, I think you've got him quartered there. All right. Um, look, look, let's get stuck straight into it, um, Roscoe. You started out um, with a passion for going for the, the land speed record. Tell us a little bit. Just let's get us started in the rocket-powered car that you actually did 253 mile an hour with. Rocket go-kart, yeah. That was a... Uh I got interested in rockets a very long time ago, back in the 70s, and um, they were the fastest things down a quarter mile uh, in drag racing, and they actually still are. And um, anyway, but uh, yeah, I got very excited with hydrogen peroxide rockets and um, wanted to build myself a motorcycle with two rocket engines on there, so I did my very best to put this thing together, and uh, yeah, it uh, didn't quite pan out as good as I'd hoped. Couldn't get it uh, performing properly, and uh, so I contacted a, a, um, a guy in the States, in California, who's uh, fearless Fred Goeski, who was a really fast uh, rocket funny car guy, and went over and spent some time with Fred, and um, yeah, learned a hell of a lot about it, and uh, yeah, and where I was going wrong, and uh, came back, came back to Australia after running the go kart. He had the go kart in his shed, and um, uh, took a lot of persuading, a lot of tequila to get him to get the thing down out of the shed, but. Um, yeah, we, we rented out a place called uh, Cali called Waco in uh, back of California and and uh, yeah, ran really really fast, 253 mile an hour and did a 5.9 second pass. And uh, anyway, we took the rocket the rocket gear off this cart, uh, brought it back to Australia and uh, the plan was to put it in the bike and uh, yeah, basically when I got it back with all the rocket gear, um, Andra uh, banned, uh, banned the... Uh, using rocket-powered vehicles on a drag strip, which is really sad. And uh, I think the thing that I heard most about that was that Dennis Cyrus was the man who banned it. He was the boss of Andrew, and mm. he was a very good friend of mine. Yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah. Not to be outdone also, we had the privilege of meeting with Simon Telford and Scott Taylor from Street Machine magazine, and along with Boris Viskovich as well, photographer for Street Machine magazine. These guys are royalty in the car modifying scene right across Australia and to interview these guys this year was a great honour and privilege. Uh, let's just have a listen to that episode right here. All the way from Street Machine magazine we have with us brand content director Simon Telford and Street Machine deputy editor Scotty Taylor. Thanks for joining us guys. G'day. Thanks for having us. Hey, I've got to be honest with you myself Todd and Simon in particular, 
we've been very, very big fans for, for many, many years. So much so. I don't know. Can you, can you guys actually see that? Look at that. Sure can. It's a very early edition, that one. Yeah. Probably 1983. What, very good, Telfo. Very good. It's from January 83 or December 82. So I just thought, been a big fan, been following it for many, many years. I don't have a van wheels, however. I don't have the van wheels, but... <laughs> Anyway, I've got a, quite a few here, and we'll talk about some of those a, a, a bit later. Classics. But, look, tell us. I mean, Telfer, you kicked off in the early 2000s at Street Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you started under the legendary uh, Seto, or Jeff Seddon, as mm-hmm. most people know him. Tell us how you got, got, your, how you got started. Well, I was a, uh, out of school. I went into uni and became a high school teacher taught English and history and I never always loved Street Machine but I never dreamed I could work on a car magazine I thought you had to be like a Formula One driver and an ace engineer and an incredible mechanic to get in uh, and then I yeah was teaching for a couple of years and I saw some jobs popping up for mag- different magazines and I applied for one at uh, the old Zoom magazine and Street Commodores so got in there went yep see you later teaching this is more fun and discovered yeah it's a uh, you know, you don't have to be a complete genius behind the wheel or behind the spanner. You have to have a bit of an idea, but the most important thing is to be able to write because uh, most, go- most car guys, you know, you're either one left brain or right brain and uh, r- rarely are people both. So it's actually hard to find people who can, who can write and are interested in cars. So, mm, yeah. And Seto poached me from there. Thank God. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, that is a great story. And Boris, when we spoke with Boris a few weeks ago, he's, he echoed the same, intimate, uh, same sentiments, actually. How about yourself, Scotty? How, how did you get your start? Wow, how long have you got? I mean, I can talk about this quite a bit. As right. long as you've... We've got plenty of time, Scotty, so you you got to knock yourself out. It's all good. I was a, a kid that grew up in the bush, screwing around with cars and guns and bikes and everything all the way through the 80s reading Street Machine, and like Simon, I had no idea that I could actually have do this as a job. So I built my first car at 16, a HQ Ute. Like, we had seven HQs out in the farm. I combined them into one because I said to my parents, uh, can you buy me a car? Well, all the parts are there. Why don't you build one? I'm like, okay, all right. So I built this Ute up and then got to the point of almost rego. And uh, Dad said, all right, I'll take you and I'll buy you a Tirana. So my first registered car was an LJ two-door Tirana. So as a street machine, you know, fan from way back in the early 80s, you know, I've always been, you know, reading it from cover to cover, every issue, you know, right through. Anyway, as a job, my first major job, I guess, was a telecommunications technician working for Telstra. And so I went through that, did like, you know, I had 12 years in Telstra, and then got a job with another company, like a big international telecommunications corporation, earning big dollars. And I got interested in the internet and doing my own websites and stuff like that. And then starting doing little how-tos on my own websites. And I knew a few people in the publishing scene, like Jason Gray, um, who was editor of Street Commodores. And then a job popped up at Zoom and Street Commodores. I went for the job at Zoom and Simon was actually working there at the time. And um, are you guys still there? 
Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, here. We're, we're listening. We're in full. We're in full. Are they still, are they still listening? <laughs> maybe, maybe we should move as well. Yeah. <laughs> so Simon was uh, there in the interview um, at the time. So that's when me and Simon first met, actually. Um, I didn't get that job because I wanted a little bit too much. Like, I, I was taking a ma massive pay cut even to come across. Like, I was – this is back in the early 2000s, and I was going to lose – when I finally did come across, I lost 27 grand a year in a company card and a fuel card. Like I, it was a massive pay cut to get into publishing. Anyway, so I ended up with a job at Street Commodores under Jason Gray, who had, you know, he'd been two times uh, horsepower hero champion, mm. all that stuff. Me and Jason used to do karate together back in the, you know, 90s as well. Um, so um, anyway, that's how I got into Street Commodores. And then I met Simon... Simon left, oh, I guess maybe six months. Was it six months after I started, Simon? Something like Something. that, yep. We went over to Street Machine. Um, and then, you know, the place where Street Commodores and everything came about was this place called Express Publications. And it was a bit of a madhouse. Uh, I think me and Simon are two of the only guys that walked out of there under our own steam. Everyone else pretty much got escorted from the building. It was yeah, like okay. that, that sort of place. Wow. <laughs> so I survived there almost three years and I just got to the point where, you know what, one day I'm going to get marched out the door. So I'm going to go under my own power and I was going to go create car DVDs because car DVDs were big back in mm. like 2005. Yeah. You know, car DVDs were a big thing. So the day I left that afternoon, Simon rings me and I'm in the car with Jay like my former boss, Jason Gray is right beside me. Simon's talking to me and going, what are you doing Monday? And I'm like, mm, I can't remember to say, but um, yeah, what have you got? <laughs> you know? So they fling me a, um, a VS Senator to the, so the first, the six liter HSV senators had just come out and yeah. they said, we've got this as a press car take a drive, write about it and, um, you know, see what you reckon. So I write this story on it. I call it Super Size Me because, you know, they just upsized the LSV8 in the things, mm. pumped it in like the next day and Simon rings me and goes, well, Seto wants to meet you. So I'd never met Jeff Seddon at that stage. Yep. When you meet Seto, all his meetings were pretty much at the pub. So pub lunch in with Seto and he's like, well, you know, we want you to write some stuff for us. And, you know, but at that stage I'd already worked out that I was going to move out of Sydney. I'd been in Sydney for 15 years at that stage and I was kind of over the place. Um, and I'd already, we'd already basically sold our house. And I yeah. said, well, look, I can write freelance for you, but it'll be from a, like a remote location. So we moved down to Albury, Wodonga sort of area. And I freelanced exclusively for Street Machine from there for eight years. And mm -hmm. then that's when I also sort of kicked off my Scotty's Garage YouTube thing. And YouTube, yep. you know, freelancing was a good deal, but um, YouTube was coming on strong. And we were paying our home loan off with YouTube earnings. Wow. So, yeah. And okay. then things being what they are. Uh, Bauer Media bought out ACP magazines yep. and moved all the uh, motoring titles to Melbourne. And when I heard they were all going to Melbourne, I said to my wife, there's going to be a job offer here. 
how do you feel about moving to Melbourne? And I don't know if Simon even knows all this stuff. Yeah. I, I predicted this stuff way early and uh, I said, there's going to be a job offer here. How do you feel about moving to Melbourne? And she said, I'm in. And, um, yeah, within a week or a week and a half, Simon rings me and goes, how do you feel about moving to Melbourne? I'm saying, done, we're in. <laughs> We've, we have a special guest with us tonight, all the way from Street Machine Magazine, Boris Viskovich. Boris, thanks for joining us tonight. You're welcome, mate. Thanks for the uh, invitation. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. We caught up at, at Motivation uh, earlier in the year and, and uh, you know, we got chatting and, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a, I think it's great to have you on. You've been in the industry for a long time, uh, <laughs> prominent in, in Western Australia in, in the scene. So we thought, you know, great, be great to have you on. Boris, tell us a little bit. I mean, you're actually probably one of the best exports out of Belcatta, I would say. <laughs> so, t- tell us a bit, like you've done, you've done the suburb proud, you know, uh, but tell us a bit early life in the suburb. What was it like growing up in, in particular in Belcatta, the home of street racing and burnouts? Well, well, I'm, I'm born and bred in Osmond Park for a start, but I went to Belcatta Senior High School. Okay. So, so but, you know, I, I spent most of my childhood at uh, the Yugoslav Club on Jones Street. So I was in between you know, Aussie Park and Belcatta yeah, a lot um, growing up. But, um, yeah, just uh, it, it was great. And it, and it was at the time a bit of a hotbed, I think, just that uh, a, a lot of, um, you know, ethnic majorities around the area. So everyone, you know, there was lots of Italians and Macedonians and Greeks and Yugoslavs. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, in, from my childhood, I remember going to discos at the Yugoslav club and I was, you know, nine or ten years old and there were guys like Frank DiVagilio with his you know Bermuda green uh, what is a Bermuda or Bahama green whatever that Tirana colour is that bright yeah. green um, you know panel vans with statesman grills and all that you know in the in the mid-70s you know, I'm 53 this year so I kind of remember that disco era and the and, and that van scene as well which is really cool yeah look I mean it's funny I'm, I'm on a, a Facebook page called the Balcata Buzz and they, they talk about Delaunay Street being you know should the speed limit should be lifted to 60 kilometers an hour so back in the 80s they were they were doing they were getting to one <laughs> 160 down that street and we were like if you were at the Yugoslav club I was down at the Vusto club which was yeah. basically the end of Delaunay street back in those days and you know how times have changed but you know i I think we've we've all moved on from from that time to finish off our best of a hundred it would be remiss of me not to mention also the last interview 99 that we did episode 99 sorry uh, was with andy and mick kale and warren sander really touching story from uh the three of them in their battle against uh cancer uh warren is the husband of the late Terry Sander, Australian Super Street Champion in 2010. He tells us of Terry's story. And also uh, Andy, who's built with our co-host Simon Gonzo Travellini, the Hellcat um, Mercedes that she's using to raise awareness and uh, funds for breast cancer research. We really appreciated their time coming on the podcast. Let's just have a listen to that one here. I'm joined by Andy Carroll. Hi, everyone. Her husband, Mick. Thanks for having us. And on Zoom, we are joined by Warren Sander. Warren, thanks for joining us. No problem. Anything for a good cause. 
That's it. Now, that's what we like to say as well. And look, we really appreciate uh, all of us getting together. We really appreciate you making the time to come on here as well. So this is a really important podcast. And, uh, you know, we've all um, been following Andy's journey and uh, Mick's journey as well. And then she brought to my light to um, your journey as well and your, your late wife, Terry, as well. So we thought, you know, we'd all get together and have a chat and, um you know, it's, it's very important. So look, once again, thanks for joining us. Andy, let me introduce yourself uh, first to our listeners that might not be familiar with you. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know you as a, maybe your graphic designer. You're responsible for the Talk and Power logo that you see <laughs> yep. right up there, actually. Um, second to that, you're, you're a drag racer since 2011, mm-hmm. super sedan. Um, but I like to think of you as the author and breast cancer conqueror is something that I'll endear you to. Um, so thanks for joining us and thanks for being here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got into drag racing. Um, well, I met this guy next to me and he dragged me down to Ravenswood to watch his mate race a GT. <laughs> Uh, and I probably didn't look back since. I was always a bit into the muscle cars, um, really, really like my muscle cars, but I used to go down to Ravenswood to watch the bikes. Mm. Uh, I used to ride a bike. It was my thing. Um, and I said, one of these days I'm going to race a bike down at, uh, Ravenswood. Yeah. Well, I've gotten away and, you know, mortgages to pay and jobs to keep and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we didn't get back to the uh, racetrack for quite a while. Um, Ran into a friend who said he wanted a little bit of promotion work done and some photography done down at the track. Um, So lo and behold, we end up crewing for a team called Fat Boys Racing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so we crewed for quite a few years Mm. um, until they decided to step out of racing for a while. Yep. Um, and by that point, Mick and I decided that we were well and truly hooked. Um, and so... We tell had... the truth, tell the truth. We weren't <laughs> real and truly hooked. Well, you was, just plied was... <laughs> me with alcohol that night and said, let's go do this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, so we thought, well, why don't we just go and buy our own car instead of crewing yeah. for other people and do yeah. it for do it ourselves? Yeah. And Mick goes, well, who, who are we going to get to drive it? And I went, well, I'm going to drive it. <laughs> so we had a chat to uh, Simon and, and said, do you know of any, any good cars going? And he said, well, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> I remember the, sitting on the hoist. <laughs> I remember the ad perfectly well in Perth Streetcar when Simon was uh, writing for that uh, magazine a while back. Yes. And there was a photo of a Tirana and a big red machine on there which said, no, that's not my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the Tirana was within the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit here, but tell us a little bit then, um, your latest project, Mama's Toy, tell us how that came to be and your inspiration that you drew from, from Terry Sander. So, um, I had, we, we decided it was time for a, a change of car and thought that it might be a nice idea to build our own, um, a good project. 
uh, one of the other, uh, one of the race officials and another racer came to me. His wife had just um, uh, beaten breast cancer. And he said, wouldn't it be a really cool idea if we did something like the Beat the Heat guys mm. and take some passages and actually show them that we're not a bunch of hoons, that we're all a really good supportive family and that we all look after each other and look out for each other. And, you know, we should be able to share that. Mm, yep, yep. And he goes, so I'm going to leave that with you. And he just walked off. And <laughs> well, so the, the, the inspiration, Mama's Toy, let's, let's we'll, we'll switch over to Warren here. Warren, tell us a little bit about Terry and her, and her racing career. It started out in, a, of all things, a bluebird wagon. T tell us how it morphed into, into, into the Rover. Well, once we, after the Bluebird wagon, we bought a, a HX Premier and she, there was a 308. Uh, it eventually did run a 12 with the Chev in it, but we wanted a purpose-built car. So, I mean, the Rover, it was a light car, uh, aerodynamic car, uh, and we ended up having to put ladder bars in it. And in the end, it was a, it was a very good car. You know, it was you know, certainly consistent and predictable uh, and, and Terry did pretty damn well in it, so. I think pretty damn well is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, 2010, she was the Australian Super Street Champion. That, that's not easy. Can you tell us like that, that, that journey there? I mean, there was a number of gold Christmas trees, but the Australian Super Street Champion as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, that. That was 2010. Talk us through that year. Look, she... Uh, yeah, she, like she, she's won, uh, you know, a gold Christmas tree in Sydney. Mm. And when she got to the, to, the, to the Winter Nationals that year, uh, once she got to the quarterfinal, I think it was, uh, a runner-up in the... Because she had a buy in the semi-final. All she had to do was front for the final and she was Australian champion. Mm -hmm. uh, look, and, and to be honest, I can't remember any of the races other than the, the semi-final, which was a solo, and the final. I, if you ask me who she ran in the other three or four rounds, I couldn't tell you. I can't remember. So, look, that brings to a close the best of the 100 episodes. There's so much more that we could have put in there, but really I just wanted to keep it um, as brief as possible, uh, we really appreciate your uh, journey with us as well. We really appreciate all of our listeners. As I said in our 100th episode, we can't do this without two very important ingredients. That is you, the listener, and most importantly, the guests as well. Having the guests and the listeners together, we can't do it without those two. We also need to thank Auto One for all their help as well. Uh, coming on board as a sponsor this year. We've really appreciated their time. And for all the people that have helped us out over the years, I've gone through them in episode 100, but we really appreciate all the people that have helped us along in the journey. Anyway, we really hope you enjoyed this podcast and uh, keep coming back. We'll have a heap more coming up, hopefully for another 100 episodes and beyond. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM. The Valley Comes Alive and podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.